Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Fair Style Podcast on a Tuesday. Hope everyone is staying home, staying safe. We are in lockdown, quarantine, stay at home, all that stuff. It's still going on. I have no idea what day it is, but we're going to continue to bring you these podcasts. We've got a whole bunch of them actually lined up this week for you. Today, we're going to talk with Dan Weber and Keely Yorel. Introduce those two in a second, talking about Everything USC football, there's been some news on the recruiting front. There's also been the JT Daniels entering the NCAA transfer portal. We'll talk about that. We got lots of questions uh, from all of you, so we'll get to all of those. I'm going to actually probably be a double header today on Tuesday. We're going to record a recruiting podcast with Gerard Martinez, be on the same feed a little bit later on today. We'll have Harvey Hyde. Uh, We couldn't get our schedules lined up on Monday, so he's going to be on Wednesday. We've had a bunch of tunnel vision shows. We put some of those up as podcasts. So make sure you're checking out uscfootball.com for that. We just uh, put our dipped our toe into the recruiting pool and had Miller Moss, the one of the highest rated uncommitted prospects right now. He's uh, down to four schools. He's a four-star quarterback that USC is looking hard at. And uh, we had him on our tunnel vision show. We had Alex Michelson on. We're going to have some special guests coming up. Um, so make sure you check all that stuff out. If you have any questions or comments for us here at the show, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is the email address. You can email us. Also, you can uh, call or text us, 424-254-9141. Please call, leave a voicemail, keep it brief, uh, send us a text. We like those as well. We got a lot of all that stuff today, and we want to jump right into it. We got Keely Yor on the line, keeping our social distance Keely, how are you doing? Hello, hello. Doing well. You talked about tunnel vision. You've been cranking out the tunnel visions, Ryan, but my favorite was Saturdays with Dan and Sean Cody uh, watching that game. That was a fun time for sure. I forgot to even mention that one. Yeah, we're trying to do a rewatch parties on the weekends, and we watched uh, some fun stuff uh, from the Sean Cody uh, big game that he had in the Orange Bowl where USC won its second national championship. Dan was on the line, uh, Sean Cody, myself, Keely, and Shotgun. So we got to rewatch that game, and uh, that was a lot of fun. So we'll try to do that. We're going to try to do it every week. I don't know. I'm doing shows every day, but we got to do something because there's nothing really to cover. So hopefully you guys are enjoying them. Seems like a lot of people are watching, so that's good. But good. thank you for the reminder, Keely. And uh, the aforementioned Dan Weber was on that call, and he's on this call as well. Hey, Dan. Hey, uh, that was fun. Uh, just remembering what it felt like and, and what it felt like to watch that team and those teams as you know, they were kind of developing a, a sort of a USC style of playing football, a kind of a, a swagger and a toughness and all that. And you just, you kind of want to soak it in and, and, and far be it for me to make any suggestions uh, for the coaches, but uh, they might want to have a watch party of that game for this team. Uh, as well, I, I would also suggest the uh, the opener 2003 at, at Auburn when USC shut Auburn out and was starting to really develop that personality. But uh, there are a lot of, I think, options for uh, for this coaching staff to take those games 
and have a watch party with uh, this team right now. I just think there's an awful lot that you can pick up by watching those games and saying, man, that's kind of how you, how you want to play football. Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, that'd be something that they could do a big zoom meeting or something like that. Um, but we're, we've tried to do those. If you haven't seen them, go check them out on uscfootball.com or on our YouTube page inside Troy, where we show the game in uh, a condensed format. That's this was a YouTube copy of the, the 2005 orange bowl. And uh, it was pretty cool to watch. No commercials. About two hours. We skipped ahead some of the stuff, but it was about two hours. And to hear Sean Cody talk about some of his plays and preparing for the game and what the parties were like afterwards and all that, that was a really cool experience. So uh, working on, I actually got a text in with uh, John David Booty, maybe do the uh, 2000, I think it's a 2007 Rose Bowl against uh, Illinois, or maybe it's a 2008 Rose Bowl, 2007 season. I forget exactly, but Talk about him. Maybe get like a Taylor Mays. We'll we'll see. Uh, we're, that's what we're working on for this weekend. So uh, that would be fun if we can do that. Yeah, a lot of games to choose from. Uh, now, I mean, back in the day, it was like, oh man, we got to go to the Rose Bowl again. Oh, you know, I mean, if only yeah. those days. Oh, gonna play Illinois in the Rose Bowl. Like, oh, oh my god. Oh, Michigan yeah. again. Oh, we don't want to play. Like, oh, jeez. <laughs> Or, or or Joe Paterno in Penn State. Yeah, you know it was just, it was like oh ho hum. You know here we go again. Uh, man, you never want to think like that. I, I, not ever. Enjoy yeah. it uh, while you got it, boy. Because we did. We had no idea. Yeah, we did not. Uh, before we jump into the show, we got lots to get to. We just want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Hope everyone, if you're going out there shopping, please be safe. If you can pick up some stuff while you're out shopping for maybe an elderly neighbor or someone uh, or someone in your family, that's awesome too. Uh, got a lot of stuff. I try to go in Trader Joe's and pick up a bunch of stuff when I'm in there. The latest one I did was uh, like a gnocchi and a uh, like a marinara sauce. It was really simple. It was like seven minutes on the skillets, frozen, boom. You cook it up and, uh, man, it's really good. So I got to go back in there. I think I'm going to go in later this afternoon. I need to get some more of my uh, my breakfast stuff, my uh, get the yogurt and the granola and bananas. I kind of know when I run out of bananas, I got to go back to the store. So I try to get a bunch and then uh, do that. I don't know what you guys are doing. I do that. I do the yogurt and the, and the bananas and uh, all different kinds of cereal. Yeah, I, I don't. You just can't beat that. That's uh, that's my go-to breakfast. Yeah. Uh, Keely, have you been going out much? Or are you trying to stay home? You probably stay at <laughs> home. I think right. I try to stay home. The problem is that I used to like grocery shop once a week. And so the problem is trying to plan for a couple weeks at a time. Cause I'm trying to, you make fun of me, but I'm trying to limit how much, how much I go out into the world. But yeah, it's, it's been an interesting time to try and figure out one, how to feed myself properly and two, how to do it in a term way when you go to the grocery store. Yeah, so it's I, a learning process. I think I went too much earlier on. Like I would go to the store a couple times a week when I didn't have to do that. Now I haven't gone in like a week and a half. So I like, I got to go out. I mean, I got stuff to do, but you need some of the fresh stuff too. You know, like you can stock up on certain things, but it's hard to stock up on some of the fruits and veggies and stuff. Cause they'll go bad, but I'm trying to do better with that. So I'm not going out as much as I was uh, before, but I don't know. Everyone out there, do what you need to do. Stay safe. And uh, hopefully we can kick this virus's butt and move on and get into some some fun topics. Um, maybe not a fun topic to start. Uh, not really expected. JT Daniels enters the NCAA transfer portal, I guess it was last week. 
A um, little bit of uh, shocking timing uh, from what we were told that it was more of a decision that because the NCAA could, I believe it's next month, you know, pass that rule where you could allow a one-time transfer without penalties. So you wouldn't have to sit out. It would give JT Daniels an opportunity there. That's that's what we, I had been told. Um, Keely, maybe get your thoughts first, and then we'll get Dan's too. I'm actually going to hand it to Dan first because he was the lead on this. So okay. I'll, we'll hear his thoughts first, and then I'll chime in. Yeah, I think it, it mostly was a, a you know a reaction to the the vote that's coming up uh, sometime this month. Uh, although I guess there it's like a two step process. My sense is. They, they're going to pass the rule, but they're not going to pass it for this year. So, I mean, you're talking about with everything else that's going on, if they gave everybody a one-time, uh, you know, re, uh, transfer and immediate eligibility, uh, what a mess, I think. I mean, I, I'm very seldom probably going to be on the organization side, again, you know, versus players, but probably that would be uh, the way to go in this situation. And, and, and if that's the case, it almost doesn't make any sense for JT to leave because he can stay at USC. You know, we're, I'm just assuming next year is going to be played. He can stay at USC, get his degree, and transfer as a graduate transfer and, and have two years of eligibility you know, at his choice uh, in the country. If he leaves, uh, let's say, and, and there's no immediate eligibility, uh, he can't play this year. So, you know, as as we always say with quarterbacks, you're one play away from playing. Uh, so you would think that the uh, odds would be very much in USC's favor under almost any scenario uh, because he'd have to, if he transferred for next year, he'd give up his ability to get a USC degree. And I think that's really important to him. Uh, he'd give up his ability to, to play next year. Uh, so... I would say probably not. Maybe there's some scenario where there's some program that would be so locked into JT and it would make so much sense if he went and, and um, you know, learned the system and did all of that. But uh, the more you talk to people, uh, you know, they think about that and then they say, but that head coach at that school might not be there next year. He might get offered a zillion dollars to go to the NFL or that offensive coordinator might get a head coaching job somewhere else. And here you are, you know, you've transferred and and you're stuck there and they've left. So I would think the chances are pretty small that JT uh, leaves, but what is a really good possibility for him is uh, once he goes into the portal, he has the ability to talk to every coach he wants to talk to. He's got the ability to go visit campuses and all that. That may be work uh, done a year ahead for what, what would be coming as a graduate transfer. But this way, uh, uh, teams and coaches don't have to go, you know, the backdoor route or the securitous route uh, to, get, to get to JT. They can, you know, directly talk to him. And USC knows about it, and everybody knows about it. So I kind of think that's how it's going to play out, that it gives JT a chance to look around, talk, and it gives him a chance to uh, uh, come back to USC, not give up a year of, of the ability to, you know, to play next year, and then, uh, and then have his pick uh, for two years uh, as a grad transfer. That would be how I think it's going to play out. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, to build on what Dan said, I think in that sense, it's more of a Matt Fink situation in the sense that he's going to put his name out. He's going to see what's out there, but it's not sure that he'll actually leave in that sense or leave immediately. So I think a lot of the national guys were like, oh, he's gone. We all expected this, but I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Um, so we'll see. We'll kind of keep uh, abreast of what's going on with the JT Daniels situation. I did a Tennessee uh, radio program this morning, so there's already people looking to to pick up JT Daniels. He's going to be a hot name out there as a former five star, and um, a lot. We see a lot of five star quarterbacks transferring. Uh, you saw the I think three of the four playoff teams had transfer quarterbacks. Yeah. It's very common. Uh, so it's not, you know, this is the new normal now. Like, there, I think there's a good chance he comes back, but uh, he might be gone as well. So we'll see. That would only leave two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster for USC. So that's that could be a problem. Yeah, and I, I do think if the uh, NCA would pass immediate transfer uh, eligibility for this year, for this coming year, that changes the equation a lot. You know, I think yeah, schools, yeah. schools like Tennessee are saying, come on. You know, you're going to you're going to start, you know, there would be enough of those schools that would make it kind of interesting. I mean, he's got three or uh, four years to play three, I guess, or whatever. He's got at least three years. He's got three years coming. And uh, uh, that would change the equation. If there was immediate eligibility, uh, you would think a school like Tennessee would, you know, and even LSU. I mean, I think the LSU people are even saying if he were immediately eligible, even though we've got some you know, kids that we've recruited that we think a, a lot of, JT might go to the head of the line. Yeah. That changes everything. If he's immediately eligible, then, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. There's also on the recruiting side of things, another uptick, uh, three more commitments over the weekend or, you know, the, the weekend time frame, And then big news that we had kind of hinted at the Paris on the peristyle, the number one player in the country, defensive end Corey Foreman uh, from Corona Centennial, the five-star who was committed to Clemson, has a Clemson tattoo. Uh, Gerard had posted on the Peristyle about removing uh, most of the Clemson references on his social media accounts. Uh, and then Greg Biggins, you know, I, I wrote, written an article about it, and then another one today, Tuesday morning. And uh, we're seeing some tweets from USC assistant coaches fight on and things like that. So good news on that front. You know, the, the top player in the country who hasn't been or a top player in the state and, and the country in this case who hadn't been going to USC the last couple of years. I think USC has a real shot to get a guy like Corey Foreman. So that was uh, that was big. Some big news from today. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think a lot of things play into that. I mean, I. I I have uh, my sister lives in Greenville, South Carolina. I have three nephews who are all Clemson graduates, and it's not that easy to get to Clemson from her house in Greenville, South Carolina. And I'm thinking, what's involved, you know, to get a kid from uh, you know Southern California back and forth to Clemson? I mean, how many how many flights are you talking about? And and a, you know, on a long trip once you get there, and just the thought of you know, is the season going to be played? Are there going to, how, how are people going to practice? Are there going to be informal workouts and all that? And, and, and then you're talking about getting your parents back and forth and all of that. How much easier it would be for a kid like that. If USC has got a program 
that you could say, hey, I could, what can I do at USC, you know, that I could do, you know, somewhere else? How much easier is that to, to change the, you know, your destination? It, you know, I think it was always about USC being uh, a comparable, uh, you know, nationally competitive program. And, you know, a lot of these things that have happened in the last couple of years are because USC was not. But when you get the sense of, hey, you know, you go from 55th in recruiting to fifth already, uh, there's that whole, you know, momentum building up and you know a lot of guys that are going there and all of that. I think, you know, and I, even another thing you would think is, okay, I go to Clemson. Am I going to sit in the dorm for, you know, if we have some indecision about how football is going to go next year? Um, that's, uh, I think USC, uh, you know, is in a, a pretty good spot. If the best, you know, the best players in the country, when you look at it with the two quarterbacks and, the, uh, you know, and, and Foreman and all these guys, what kind of a situation is USC in? I mean, the thought that a, a USC program in the middle of that kind of recruiting potential went to 55th last year is, is almost hard to even, you know, comprehend. But, um, but with this new staff, uh, it's, I think it's awful easy for a kid to say, wow, things have really changed at USC. And, you know, he's got Drake Jackson here and Gary Bryant and all the connections that, that make it, you know, you got to give USC a really good look and a good shot, I think, in that scenario. And it's a credit to USC's coaching staff who kept committing him after or kept recruiting him after he committed to Clemson. But this new staff specifically has really stepped up the heat as far as recruiting him. Ryan, you alluded to it, but Vic Otto tweeted out a cheeky fight on after yeah. the news broke that Corey uh, decommitted. So they're on him and, and they're making him feel wanted, which is something that past recruits didn't always feel. Um, so it's a credit to USC's coaching staff for not only committing to uh, Corey Foreman, but also having the recruiting momentum so that it's USC's an attractive place for a guy like Corey Foreman to at least give another second look at. Yeah, I think the, the opportunity is here because, you know, it's not like a quarterback where you're recruiting where, you know, the, the two top guys went across the country because maybe there really wasn't a spot uh, at quarterback. But if you're a defensive lineman, uh, you know, USC's got a lot of, you know, juniors and seniors there, and they absolutely are going to have some ability for really top kids to come in and play right away. And that's always, you know, a consideration, you know, for a kid like, you know, like Foreman and, you know, and to come in and play for a team that that looks like it's going to be pretty competitive for the next couple of years, uh, I think even more so. Yeah, I agree with you there. We'll uh, see how that all transpires and plays out. But, you know, make no – it's definitely the effort that USC is putting in has been way different. And it's about the new assistant coaches and getting rid of some coaches that weren't really putting in the effort. And that's the main difference to me. And so we'll – if you want to come check back on this podcast feed at the Parastyle Podcast, we'll have a lot more detail of all the recruiting stuff. Um, with Gerard Martinez, so he'll he'll be on uh, in our next podcast. We'll have Harvey Hyde later in the week. He might have some thoughts on that as well. But since we started off with uh, JT Daniels' talk, I think we I'll jump into a JT Daniels voicemail if you guys don't mind and play this one for you and get your thoughts. Hey Ryan and company, it's Don from Chicago. Listen, I just heard that JT is entering the transfer portal. 
and I sort of have just one thought on that. Whoop-dee-doo. I mean, frankly, who really cares? As long as Clay Helton is coaching this team, doesn't matter who's starting the quarterback. I mean, you know, it's the, the typical stuff. We'll beat the easy teams and get our butts kicked by the good teams. It's just mediocrity, more and more of it. So whether JT goes or stays, don't care. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. The only person I'm waiting to leave is Clay Helton. And I have a little advice for you guys as well. You might as well just shut it down until Clay goes because it's just more the same. We know the outcome. Anyways, Don from Chicago. Don, you sound like you'd be fun at parties, you know. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. So I don't know if whatever uh, – yeah, I don't even want to go there. But, no, Don, we're not shutting it down. What do you What do? You do? You going to shut it down because Clay Helton's the head coach? It's just so tiring to hear people like, I don't care, Clay Helton's – Corey Foreman commits to USC. It doesn't matter. Like, that is so tired. I'm sick of it. So, Don, you're on timeout for a while. But I had to play Are we supposed to, we're supposed to quit our jobs because Clay Helton is still the head coach? Yeah. What financial sense does that make? <laughs> well, and, and if you say, what the heck does it matter? Who's playing at quarterback? I've got two words for you. <laughs> Damn Darnold. Okay. You think it mattered that Sam Darnold was playing for you? Did did it matter enough? No. Year two with Sam, uh, you know, that was on clay, and that was a problem. But let's face it, there were some pretty good moments, even with Clay Helton coaching with Sam Darnold. Okay, you know, and obviously there should have been better moments and more of them and all of that. But uh, uh, you know, to act like it doesn't matter who's the quarterback. And secondly. I'm really getting a little tired of people kind of like not not treating these guys, these young men who've come to USC and put a lot on the line for USC and uh, like a JT Daniels put their body on the line uh, for USC and and are working like crazy to rehab and all of that and 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 to act like it doesn't matter, they don't matter. You know, they're Treat them like you know they were your your son. Uh, I, I think we owe owe those guys that, and to actually just dismiss dismiss them with a whoop de doo is is just the wrong way, uh, completely the wrong way. Uh, you know, for USC or for anybody involved with what we would like to call the Trojan family, uh, you know, to think or to talk. I mean, it's just. Uh, uh, I've been really disappointed with some of the takes that people had about JT, and uh, I just, you know, think they don't they don't understand. Uh, uh, he's a little different, you know, in his personality. He's the way he thinks about being a quarterback, and the way he kind of, you know, talks and carries himself. He's he's uh, he's re- he is different, and and it's like some people, you know, we were just talking about this. Didn't like it, you know, that he had a backpack at practice. Uh, you know, when he was, uh, you know, coming in from high school or that he uh, skipped his uh, senior year to get here early. But that took a lot of work. Imagine the amount of work it took for him to do two full high school years at modern day in order to get to USC. Uh, you know, and then to have to play under that offense that was so uh, not conducive to anybody being able to to look very good at it. So so I, I just think it's it's tiresome to hear guys uh, shoot, shoot these kids down. Uh, uh, that's just not the wrong way, or the right way to do it. That's 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 wrong. Yeah, 
Dude, Keaton Slovis maybe, had four 400-yard games last year. Like, you don't care who the quarterback is? Like, come on, dude. Like, this, this, no, stop. Maybe Dom was just having a bad day. You know, we're all in the pandemic. We have ups and downs. Maybe he just called us on a down. Let's give him a benefit of the doubt. Give him maybe. a slap upside the head. That's what he's <laughs> going to sure. get. Yeah. Sure, let's do that. Actually, let's do that. And, yeah. and I was trying to point out today, if you look at what's happened with the recruiting, uh, 55th to 5th, with this new staff. I mean, to say that it doesn't matter, it's always going to be bad with Clay, Clay's still there. And you talk to the new guys, they love the way Clay is doing what he's doing. He maybe isn't, you know, out front that much, but, you know, he's kind of, you know, giving them the attaboys and turning them loose. And if you think it doesn't matter, it has. It's it's clearly mattered in the energy, the you know, the competitiveness. I was talking today, the confidence that these guys have in going out and their competence in doing what they do. And uh, Clay's, you know, stepped aside and said, "Go get them, boys." Uh, now, can that continue through? You know, all of the you know spring and summer, and uh, you know, game to game, week to week, next year, we'll see. But uh, it's working right now. The only thing that's going on right now is recruiting. And it it's, couldn't – I don't think you could ask for it to be working much better. And Clay's still the head coach. So we'll see how this plays out. Is it unorthodox to have the head coach kind of not be the guy and to have the, you know, the coordinators and the assistants be the guy? Eh. You know, it, it's worked in the past with really big-time head coaches like Bear Bryant. Uh, Joe Paterno, uh, Bobby Bowden, pretty much turned their teams over to their assistants and had wonderful assistants who made those programs go. Now, I I know how dangerous it is to mention those three coaches and then even have Clay Helton in the same, you know, not paragraph, but, you know, just in the same take of any kind. But I think that's the model uh, that you have to hope that these guys step up and do all the things that we think they can do. And we, we're seeing them doing recruiting. I mean, it's uh, I mean, I don't know that we've seen a program recently you can think of that's gone from where they were last year to where they are now that quickly, that kind of a turnaround. And, you know, a lot of credit you got to give the A.D. Mike Bone and, and his deputy, you know, Brandon Sosna uh, that they've done everything to make this happen but uh it's kind of happening yeah um keely we had some jt questions in the do you want to should we just stick with that theme even though that really wasn't much of a jt question but (laughs) or or, or which way would Um, you like to go however you'd like to go keely i don't want to you know tell you where to go no, we have a question from our buddy Stephen Poway who says, Dear Ryan, Keeley, and Dan, are you aware of anything that happened recently, good or bad, to push JT Daniels to enter the transfer portal? I was more surprised by his timing than his entering the portal at all. Your thoughts? Thank you, Steve and Poway. Thanks, Steve. It was just the realization that this NCA vote is going to happen, and it gives JT uh, a chance to uh, do a lot of his uh, talking to people above board and maybe get it out of the way uh, before what would have to happen next year. Uh, because sometimes those guys who are going to you know, be a grad transfer and whatever, that's kind of maybe a little bit of a rushed uh, situation where you, 
do you have enough time to to get out and talk to all the people you need to talk to or you want to talk to or go visit and so this would get some of that behind him and and get him a chance to maybe zero in on here are the programs uh, I didn't get to know this guy or I didn't get to know that guy and to get a feel and yeah that'll be interesting I mean you know JT could go visit Washington let's say and you know he could be on the field uh, playing against Washington. I mean, it's or Oregon. I don't know. You know, you could see those schools uh, coming after JT, and uh, that would be interesting how that how that would play out this year. But but I don't think anything happened on the part of USC uh, at all that I that I could see. Dan, maybe you can speak to this, but I was just wondering how much just the current situation we are in and, and spring camp canceling how much of that force JT's hand in the sense that maybe if you're watching Keaton Slovis and you're there every day and have a better sense of things maybe you feel a little bit more confident about your chances or something like that whereas here you're sitting at home still rehabbing and and nothing's really progressed as far as practice and whatnot it's a good point because you might be thinking uh the you know the less you know the more compressed let's say the preseason practices are and and the less time uh you have maybe the less uh, ability you're going to have to come in and, and, and completely compete for the job. That's a good point uh, that, that, you know, that you're going to come in as, as the number two guy and it, it's probably going to stay that way uh, without, you know, an injury. And so uh, that's a good point. I think, I think that might've played into it. Yeah. We have a question from Eric in duck country. who says Ryan, Dan and Keeley, if the 2020 season were completely canceled and we did not see football again until 2021, do you think it would be better or worse for Clay Hilton? Would no football in 2021 give Clay Hilton a fresh start? Uh, no, sorry, no football until 2021 give Clay a fresh start, or would football start fans be even less forgiving? Thanks as always, Eric in Duck Country. Um, let's see, Eric. I don't usually mind answering hypotheticals. I think that's one. I'm not even going to touch. Uh, I can't, I honestly can't even imagine not playing football in this next school year, somehow, some way. If, if we're not able to play football in this next year, not only, not this USC or the Pac-12 or college football uh, have problems. There are way, way, way more problems with the economy and, 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 uh, you know, public health and all of that. Uh, if football can't go next year, I can't even imagine um, how how bad the situation would be in every other area of life. So probably uh, worrying about uh, Clay Helton's uh, situation, uh, if that happens, that will be way down on the list of things to worry about if, uh, if they can't figure out how to get back to college and how to get back to college football and all of next year, I, I, I just can't imagine how they could go through a year without, without college football. Cause that would mean, I think you're going without a year without college. And it, yeah. it, who, who knows what happens if, if that happens? I can't, I can't even imagine that. Uh, I just think, uh, you know, I mean, we, we live with uncertainty. I mean, there are a lot of bad things that can happen to people until this year, uh, the flu, 
was killing more people worldwide and killing more people in the U.S. And half the people or more don't even bother to get flu shots. And, you know, how many people would say, oh, I don't know if I'm going to the USC game this week. You know, that flu is bad this year. Nobody even thinks about that. Uh, and, you know, not to play down, you know, uh, COVID-19, it's got some unique characteristics that, you know, we have to figure out. But to act, to act as if we won't be able to figure those out and won't be able to figure out how to deal with it, I just think that's a kind of a negative mindset, a loser mindset that I just don't want to uh, attribute that to, you know, not not just America, but, you know, the whole world, that we're going to figure this out. We're going to be able to to get get some things done. And, and I think college football will be one of those. But uh, it surprises me how many people think that they can think down the road how many months from now. I mean, think how, many, how much stuff has changed in the last six weeks. I think six weeks ago, was there – one or no deaths in the United States, you know, and now they're whatever it is. Uh, how many? I can't even think. Is forty thousand or whatever? I mean, or is that just New York? Gosh, it, 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 you lose track of the numbers. But uh, how much things have changed in that short a time? Uh, we ought to all take a look and say, and they can change for the better as well in that kind of turnaround time. So uh, I, I would not be you know, looking down the road as far as some people are and saying, you know, just plan for no uh, no football or no, you know, sports at all uh, this year. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't think they should be doing that. I know Mayor Garcetti said that. I just, I don't agree. I think that was not, uh, not a smart thing to say. Yeah, I, I agree, Dan. It's like, I mean, if that's, if there's really not going to be football, so that means that the that students aren't going to be allowed back to college, you know, you would have to do another year of remote learning or whatever they're doing. Like that doesn't make, I mean, that, that would be much more, you know, much uh, worse than, um, than a lot of things, a lot of scenarios out there. But if that was happening, I think better or worse for Clay Helton is going to be way, way, you know, way down the list. Uh, you know, like, a, like a, oh, a, a, an asteroid hit the, hit the earth. And you're worried about like your magazine subscription, you know, it's like, that, like, that's just like, that's not really, doesn't really make a lot of sense. So yes. I mean, I think everyone's just talking about Clay Helton scenarios. And so you just want to look at, well, what if the season gets canceled? What does that mean for Clay Helton? It's like enough of what it means for Clay Helton. Like if, if the season's canceled, the season's freaking canceled. That's the red alert. Not what's Clay Helton going to be doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there is that commercial where the asteroid lands in the uh, front yard that I just saw not too long ago, and the people walking by say, "Wow, that lawn looks really nice." You know, well, yeah, uh, that was uh, they were making fun of uh, of that kind of a you know inability to see uh, see what's really going on. But uh, yeah, Clay Helton will not be the focus of anything if there's no football next year. I think Eric's point was just asking if there was a gap in time from what we're used to in the college football season, would that help or hurt Helton? And I just think USC fans would still be as angry, but I, I get your guys' arguments as well. Yeah. It's just like, trying to honor Eric's question. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, if the asteroid hits the earth. Like, do you think you'd lose weight or gain weight? It's like, who gives a shit? Like, you know, like you're, you're an asteroid hit the earth. Like that's what we're talking about here. So. Oh my goodness. Does that okay, make well, sense? Have... I'm just making that up as I go, but you know. 
Yeah, I guess so. We have an email from Andy uh, from Calgary, Alberta, who says, Hello, Dan and the USCfootball.com crew. Is it just me, or has USC's recruiting gone from the outhouse to the penthouse in record time? Are Dante Williams and the rest of the new staff that awesome, or was the previous staff just that awful? Or probably a combo of both. Thanks, and fight on. Yeah, the answer would be yes, uh, without a doubt. It, they have gone uh, that far, that fast. Uh, and I mean, they're relentless. They just, they don't quit. I mean, these guys, uh, it's really hard uh, having interviewed six of them at home the last couple of weeks. It's hard to get a phone call in, uh, to get to talk to them because they're on the phone with kids all the time. Uh, they, there's a competitiveness about these guys and a confidence in what they can do for the USC football and with USC football, uh, and they've done it, and they know they can do it. I mean, it's just, it's such a, you know, a breath of fresh air. Uh, and how lucky, in a way, as much as you would have liked to have seen them to get the coach also the regular spring ball, how fortunate USC is that these guys are here uh, with the way they're approaching things as opposed to another year of the way things were going. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of how, you know, it's not easy uh, to recruit like this, uh, especially for new guys. And uh, I think it's made them better. I mean, I think they've figured out, you know, it's like they talk about they're going to put you through some really tough stuff in practice so that when you come out of it, you're really ready to play the game. These guys have been put through some really tough stuff in terms of all the limitations uh, of recruiting right now and, and just, you know, building a program. And I think they're going to come out of this even better because they've adjusted and, you know, they're doing the whole, you know, social media thing. And USC wisely, I think, added to, uh, you know, the recruiting staff. So they've got the, you know, the graphics guy who can, you know, do so much and stuff that we haven't seen even anything even, you know, close to it. And uh, these guys are tough. And yes, they, I think they're, they're getting close to the penthouse. Uh, and uh, it's, it's fun to watch. In the same vein, Eric and Duck Country wanted to know, how is there so much momentum when there is so much uncertainty about not only the season, but also Clay Helton? I just think you have to assume something's going to ha- I mean, you, you got two ways to go, you know. And, and if you're a competitor and you're a football player, you got to assume and that's what I, I, I've decided instead of always saying just in case there's a season or, you know, we're assuming there's I'm just assuming I mean, I'm just, you know, we're going forward as if we're going forward as if it's all going to happen. And, you know, if it doesn't happen to me, that's the like newsworthy, worthy, uh, you know, once in a century uh, thing that happens as opposed to. Uh, saying, wow, I, uh, you know, I couldn't imagine we were going to play. I just think you got to imagine you're going to play and, and you imagine that that uncertainty does not exist and you just do what you can do. And I think that's kind of where they are now uh, instead of, oh, are we going to, you know, no, you just, here's what we can do and here's what we're going to do. And we assume, you know, we're going to play Alabama, you know, in September uh, until somebody tells them no, uh, I think that's how you got to go. We have an email from Jim B. who says, hey, guys, love the show. Keep up the good work. Why are they not hiring Chris Claiborne? 
This guy was an outstanding head coach in SoCal. He's good with young kids, and he especially is familiar with the SoCal scene. He knows the other SoCal high school coaches, and he knows a lot of the players. He'd be a great recru- he'd be a great recruiter. He's a graduate and a great player at SC, and he wants to come to SC. What's the problem? Is there a hiring freeze or something going on at USC? What is your gut feeling? Do you think that they will actually hire him? And then Andy from uh, Alberta also had the same question. Yeah, hiring freeze. <laughs> Read the yeah. war room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's like understood what's going to happen, but, uh, because the hires in the, uh, you know, on a football program are of so much higher profile, it's hard to probably make that work across an entire university. You know, we're talking medical school and all the grad, you know, graduate schools and professional schools and, you know, everywhere that, you know, they hire people and, if you would tell department heads, you know, we know you want to hire this guy. You really like him. He's ready to come, but we got a hiring freeze and then you hire a football coach that probably wouldn't be a football uh, staffer. Uh, that probably isn't the way you can go. Yeah. We have a trivia question this time, not from Dan class of 1962. It's from Steve and HB class of 1968. He says, hi gang. Your recent podcast stirred some cobwebs in my brain. Who was the first modern-day quarterback to start at USC? Hint, he didn't run the play that coaches sent in. His audible was one of the greatest plays in the history of USC, according to Dan. So it's the same guy that we – that, what was it? Uh, Toby hey, Page? Yeah. Yep. That, <laughs> yeah. It is? Yep. Was yep. he a modern-day guy? I didn't, I didn't even know, know he was that. modern. I didn't realize he was modern-day. Uh-huh. Yeah. According wow. to Stephen Huntington Beach, he is. That's really cool. That's really. I mean, modern day has always got this. You know, the only real high school in America that has two Heisman Trophy winners. I think there's a gosh, what's the name of that military school? Uh, but there's there's a, in Virginia that has two. Uh, but that was kind of a prep school uh, for kids after high school. But um, uh, but USC with, uh, you know, or excuse me, with modern day with uh, Matt Leinart and uh, John Hewitt, uh, Notre Dame, uh, the only uh, only high school with uh, two Heisman Trophy winners. Um, Ryan, we got a suggestion from Louie. Uh, he says, could you get a lunch conversation with Dr. Arthur C. Bartner? Interesting. Um, we could probably do that. We did. We had him on the podcast already. Um, I don't know. There hasn't really been a lot of newsy stuff since we had him on last time, but if you want to, and since he's retiring, I don't know, I'm not sure, but we could look at it, but yeah, I would go back and listen to the podcast we did. Dan and I went into his office and, uh, it was great. We had a great conversation. Yeah, it was wonderful to get to really get to, you know, sit down with, with Dr. Bartner and, and get to know him. And then now, you know, when he goes by, you know, they're always practicing kind of at the same time. And it's just great to be able to, you know, uh, catch a few moments with Dr. Art. And uh, now that he kind of knows us, uh, that was a great, that was a great moment. And I think he really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know that he'd gotten to do something like that. And he really got a chance to kind of explain how all this went together over the last half century. Although maybe we keep hearing and he may be not retiring as soon as uh, it was originally thought that Dr. Art might be all the way back for this coming season, if there is a coming season, that, that he may not be vacating the premises. 
Was so, it was it supposed to be something in May? Like <laughs> I think was it May that he was going to have like a big shindig? I forget what the timing was. Yeah, big 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 concert. I guess at Cromwell, uh, uh, you know, at, uh, with a lot of maybe some of the you know famous people who had you know been at in halftime shows over the years and all of that. So that you know had to be canceled. So uh, who knows if uh, if Doctor Art makes it back this year. Maybe they can do that uh, next year. So uh, his 51st uh, yeah. anniversary. But you just keep hearing from people that he may not be leaving this year. Interesting. And I, I heard that before the pandemic even started. So it's interesting. It didn't seem like it was as a clear cut exit as it, it kind of came across at a certain point, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, we got to I'm going to do another voice. We had one more voicemail. Keely. It's a good time to do Go it now. For it. All right, yep. let me play it for you guys. Here you go. Hey, Ryan and crew, this is Bike from the Coachella Valley. I had two questions for you. One, if you could ask Tony Orlando which is the best roster he's ever worked with. And number two is what can be done about the offensive line and the run game? How do they make that work and improve it? I'd like to see that improve as well as everyone else. I think that's key to success in the future. But thank you very much. Bye. Uh, well, Tony Orlando I, I has think, passed think, away. Uh, well, no, I think I, Tony I, Orlando would say uh, the best. His best roster was uh, Don, right? Wasn't yeah, it? Tony, Tony Orlando, Orlando Don. Did, yeah. Wait, did he pass but, away? No, it was uh, Sunny. Sunny passed away. Sunny and Cher. Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, but, Maybe Tony yeah. Orlando's around. Sorry if he's still around there. My bad. I was thinking. Yeah, he, was, he was born on my birthday. Fun fact. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I was. Uh, we were in uh, Washington D.C. for the uh, uh, SID convention one year. And I still remember walking down the mall, and he was Tony Orlando was doing a concert at the Smithsonian, just out in front of the Smithsonian, and he was like really, really hot at the time. But uh, that's my uh, I have so that's my one Tony Orlando story. Nice, but yeah, it's Tony Orlando and Don, um, <laughs> and I was thinking Sonny and Cher for some reason. No, but he's seventy six years old. He's still alive. April third, nineteen forty four. Keely, you're right. Yep, there you go. As far as Todd Orlando, I think uh, I I think it's interesting when you talk to these guys about you know their roster and 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 the you know the level of talent and all that. What you get back is we'll see. They've got a chance to be pretty good, but you know, I mean, we haven't practiced in pads. You know, they're, they've done a good job of getting themselves into shape. And, and the kind of the consensus is that, um, you know, they are stronger and they are, you know, in a way they're bigger and leaner. And so they feel pretty good about, you know, especially the you know, guys on defense. They've got enough athletes. It certainly looks like there are enough athletes. Are they good enough? You know, is this a talent as talented roster? Uh, I mean, they're, they're not going to say that. They're going to say, well, they'll have to show us how much talent they've got. I will say this, you know, Todd Orlando had a really tough time you know, with all the injuries in, in, in Texas last year. And by the time they got everybody back uh, for the uh, Alamo Bowl, I guess it was, they just crushed Utah. Now, you know, Utah had, had some issues as well. But, uh, yeah, I think the way they play with the fact that 10 of the 11 guys can can be blitzing on every every play you need 
you need a you know an athletic talented roster you need guys that that can run around out there you need guys that can tackle in the open field you need guys that are in good shape um but they're not going to tell you that we're in that greatest shape until they see that they are uh and i kind of like that you know for for todd to he's not he's not committing i want to see him in pants and what about the uh the run game and the offensive line aspects I mean, I just think you got to do it. You just got to believe in it. I, I always was, and again, I know people think, oh, you talk about Pete too much and, and Carol and all that. I thought the best thing they did every day in practice was the first play in the nine on seven, you know, run game scrimmage, which was the first thing they did live, was they ran Reggie Bush up into the line of scrimmage. They didn't run him on some, you know, draw or spread, you know, you know, they didn't throw the ball to him. They ran him up inside and he hit, you know, hit that hole and they were going, you know, ones against ones. And it set the tone uh, that, you know, how important the run game is. And I think they always understood that because the first that first uh, Orange Bowl team, they didn't get to be as good as they eventually did until Justin Fargus got healthy. And once they could run the ball, once they made you defend the run. The way then that Carson Palmer could throw the ball changed, you know, that changed everything. But they needed to be able to run the run the ball, and I think they knew it. And uh, they had, you know, they had guys that could do it. They had, you know, one, you know, running backs, and they had offensive linemen that were real craftsmen. I mean, watch, you know, if you didn't get to see that uh, that Orange Bowl game, uh, you know, they just they kept Liner upright, and they gave him lots of room and lots of time. And the more, you know, every one of those plays where you got time, you know, and you got, you know, Dwayne Jarrett and Steve Smith and Dominic Bird and those guys running down the field, as good as that Oklahoma secondary was on paper, uh, their ability to, you know, stop guys like that was gone. I mean, they just, uh, so hopefully, uh, I know that's a bad word to use when you're looking at, you know, what you want to see in football, but that they realize that, the thing that will, uh, you know, I think the single most uh, important thing for this team this year is the ability to run the football. If they can run the football, we know they can throw the football, but if you make teams defend the run and, and they have to do whatever it takes to make teams defend the run, they have, I mean, and, and you look like the talent is there on that offensive line. You've got two centers who were one, two in the country. Uh, in the years they came out, you got uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, who was the number one guard, you know, in the Pac-12 last year. You've got, uh, you know, Andrew Voice, who started for two years and is like off the charts in uh, in terms of the bench press. That he's one of the what his third third most bench presses in the history of the NFL Combine. If he were his numbers now, you know, were transfer translated to the Combine. Uh, and he's certainly big and strong enough now, whether he comes back 100 uh, percent, he, you know, he could be you know, a, a really big factor. You got Liam Jimmons, Jalen McKenzie. You got enough guys to come up with, uh, you know, a five man unit that uh, ought to be able to get the job done. They won't be if they don't get it done in practice. They won't be if they don't attack and, and, and you know, really go after this, you know, defensive line. And the defensive group coming back ought to be able to, if they are going to play the way 
we understand uh, from uh, Coach Orlando and Soto and Nivar, and uh, you know, if if they're going to play the way they say they're going to play in practice, they really ought to be able to get that offensive line ready to play. Uh, you know, we'll see, but uh, I mean, I think they've got a chance. Uh, they really do. You got four running backs that all have different, you know, skill set, but uh, uh, you know, you got experience, you got size, you got speed. Uh, you just ought to be able to make that work. You really, really should. Again, uh, I know, and we talked to Graham Harrell about it. He said, if we're healthy and if you looked at what we did at North Texas, uh, when we had a really good running back, we were like 52% passing, 48% run. And they did have, you know, a year where they really had, uh, you know, a great deal of success in running the football. Again, that wasn't so much the case last year with, you know, with all the injuries. But, uh, but I, I would agree with you. The run game's got to happen and the offensive line's got to, uh, you know, come at it in a different way than they have in the last couple of years. But uh, I think the potential is certainly there. Given how injured USC's running backs got in the 2019 season, do you think that they would be encouraged to go hard in practice? And also given Clay Hilton's history with intensity at practices, do you think that they would really turn the page on that in that sense? Well, I hope so. Because I think, to be honest, I think some of the injuries that came, you know, came from not going hard in practice and then and getting into games where you maybe overextend yourself or you don't really understand what it takes to go hard. Uh, I think they need to go hard in practice in order to be ready, uh, you know, to play in games. And and, and I don't think it benefits you at all. Uh, You know, if your numbers are way, way down, uh, you may not have a choice. But, you know, those guys, uh, there are no issues, uh, you know, with depth. And you've got, you know, experience, and and I just think they have. And with four guys, you don't, you aren't going to get that many plays uh, in practice anyway. And you really have to be, I think, going uh, absolutely. And again, people, uh, I would try to explain to people what Reggie Bush did the best was he practiced absolutely at game uh, tempo and game speed. He practiced. You couldn't practice any harder than Reggie did. He earned everything he got from the way he practiced. Now, Lendell was kind of an exception <laughs> to the rule. Lendell did what Lendell did, and he's, you know, one of a kind that, you know, probably not ever going to see again. But uh, but Reggie and, and Justin Fargus and, and so many of those running backs, they really, really practice hard, and I think that's, that's how they got to go about it this year. And I, I think it'll be better for them health-wise then, uh, you know, kind of just saying, well, well, we'll take it easy until we get to the game. Uh, I don't think that works. We have a tough uh, but timely trivia question from Dan Class of 1962. He says, hi, Ryan, Dan, and Keely. My trivia question this week is about the 1967 National Championship team, which in my estimation could have been the greatest team in USC history if they had not lost in the mud at Oregon State 3-0. to This team had seven first-round NFL draft picks, but two of them, O.J. Simpson and Earl McCullough, were first-round picks in 1968. So who who were the five first-round draft picks in 1967, and which one was first overall first-round pick and to which team? Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Now that – Yeah. That's getting – Whoa. Uh, That's even before I was born, so that's old. So I don't know. One, Uh, I would say one of them 
is a the legacy is committed to USC or uh, oh, Ron Yeah, Ron Ron Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Let's see. I'm gonna uh, try to come up with some of these guys. The '67 team, and you're right. That team kind of gets overlooked just because um, they had that game in the mud. In, at Oregon State, which I guess was one of the you know just worst uh, worst deals ever. But uh, let's see if I can come up with the '67 team would have had. Uh, uh, uh. You can jump in whenever you need. Huh? I can jump in. Uh, man, oh man. Okay, I'm see, just gonna go with okay, See, I don't. I'm thinking of was Rosovich on that team? I think he was. That's uh, one of them. The actor um, and everything else. He was uh, Earl McCullough, I think. Tight end, or yeah, he's more like a wide receiver. He's an end anyway. Um, man. Okay, ready? Yeah. You're right. You're right with Rosovich. Adrian Young, Mike Hole, and Mike Taylor. Mike Hole was a surprise draft pick by the Bears because he was primarily the lead blocking fullback for OJ on his student body right and left runs. Right, yeah. Okay. Ooh. There you I, go. That, that was an impossible, really. <laughs> you're just not going to pick those guys as first round draft picks. I mean, you're just, whoa. That's, yeah. And then OJ and, was it? Bob Klein the next year were no, uh, Irma, first round. Earl McCullough was in 68 also. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And then yeah. Have- that team kind of gets lost. Uh, one lousy, horrible game in the rain and, uh, and, and in Corvallis. And uh, you just, yeah, that was too bad. We have one final, uh, contribution and we mentioned this last week it's from jim randolph he gave us big ideas for dan to talk about and we said we talk about one each week this one we're going to talk about is uh he says are there any recent changes to the normal advantages and disadvantages for usc Um, and so he gave some examples maybe shutting down recruiting travel in 2020 keeping la talent home in the class of 2021 um advantage hollywood etc well yeah uh, he's just looking for advantages because i was thinking you, you know, USC still is right in the middle of maybe the best recruiting area. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking 40 million people in California, but you're talking about the two best high school programs in the country now. I don't think there's any question or modern day in, uh, in St. John Bosco. And so, you know, and there are a whole bunch of other, you know, Corona Centennial, obviously Centennial is, is awfully good. And, uh, you know, for, for years, Long Beach Poly was the premier program in the country. It had the most guys in the NFL and all of that. But, you know, they're not terrible, but uh, they're just one more after another of schools that are, are coming online in Southern California. And uh, to be in the middle of that with the kind of tradition USC's got, I just don't know that that ever gets old, that that ever gets, uh, you know, as long as USC does its part. Uh, to say, you know, if this is what you've got to do uh, to stay up with the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Texases and the Ohio States, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to stay in there and, and we're going to compete. And 
as long as there's that, uh, you know, commitment to competing and doing doing what it takes and and doing it you know, the way you you know the way it works for your school, uh, I don't I don't think that USC is is disadvantaged in any way. I think the difference is there are more programs that are working really 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 hard i mean oregon for example is is a is the perfect example of a <coughs> excuse me a late arriving program that's put everything into you know what it what it takes i mean if you look at oregon i would guess the state of oregon i don't think it's as big as orange county and you know they have to work a lot harder uh, to make it happen there but I think if USC works as hard as, as Oregon, I mean, you know, the, I don't know that there's anything that, that Oregon, Oregon can do uh, to make it, you know, to USC has to establish itself as the premier program on the West Coast, the premier program in the Pac-12 has to go back to the way it was. Are there more teams recruiting uh, and, and working better nationally like in Ohio State? As good as it's been through the years, I don't know if they've ever uh, worked as hard as, as they are now. And, you know, Alabama probably never worked any harder than they are now. And then you've got a Georgia and a Clemson, for example, that are uh, that are above where they've, you know, been historically for sure. Um, now, there's some, been some fall off in the Florida programs, but uh, – but there are a lot of people out there that think they got a shot at a you know a national championship, and uh, uh, you don't just say. I think when Pete turned it on and got here, there weren't as many programs that you had to step over to go to the head of the class as you are as there are now. But I think USC still in that kind of uh, premier position if they'll only do you know what you have to do and. Looks like you know they're moving in that direction uh, with this uh, current coaching staff. Yeah, after taking a couple of years off, which is uh, unfortunate, but there you go. Um, we actually had a late uh, text message question come in as well. Unless Keely had some comments on that on Dan's answer. No, go for it. So Marcel from the Inland Empire, uh, what is USC's financial status as far as football and maintaining other sports during this? pandemic and i'll just want to share um there's some you know been some news as far as like programs getting canceled i think we talked about cincinnati canceling their um you know men's soccer program but this just came out from uh, the idea the idaho statesman boise state coaches will all take furloughs um so and they they rescheduled a football game at marshall but any uh, the the uh president of the university marlene trump trump said uh Furloughs for all employees making more than forty thousand a year. The head coach Brian Harson he has to take off ten days, and at least according to the wording of what they they wrote there, he can't perform any work while he's taking time off. So they're make they're going to have the coaches shut it down uh, for a while, and I, you might start seeing things like that popping up, um, you know, on other schools as well. So I don't think we fully know the financial implications. We haven't seen any pay cuts from anyone at USC yet. Um, we've seen other Pac-12 programs uh, take some pay cuts and do that, but for Boise State to furlough their head coach and not let him work for ten days—that's uh, we haven't seen something like that yet. No, I don't know. USC doesn't have, for example, I think there are twenty-one sports. 
then I think like a program like Stanford or, or Cal or whatever have a whole lot more sports than USC does. Uh, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if Stanford has 30. Uh, so USC probably not looking right now at, you know, dropping sports. Uh, but uh, I think there, there are a lot of little incremental things you could do uh, and, and, and maybe will if, uh, if things happen. Uh, you know, USC not in the you know the best position. We heard that you know that there you know it's not released publicly because it's a private university, but that there were you know they approached uh, you know twenty million in a, a athletic deficit last year, and that was unheard of. That USC had never had that kind of a deficit, and that it would be approaching that uh, that this year as well. I mean, obviously, you know they should be able to borrow from the university and. And from all the, you know, the $7 billion plus fundraising is all, you know, committed in a way, but gives USC, a, 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 you know, a chance to, uh, to probably move some money around with the understanding that you're going to make that back. But uh, uh, how do you do that in the next year if you don't play football, for example? And, and one of the, I think the, you know, issues for USC is USC was one of the first schools uh, to really commit uh, to bringing in um, students from, say, China. And, you know, you're talking about USC has always, I think, been in the top three. And for years, it was the number one school. And you were talking about, you know, 5,000 kids paying, say, full tuition, uh, cash on the barrelhead. And I, I don't know where that stands going forward. I think we're not absolutely certain as to how does that play out, you know, coming into the fall. Uh, and, 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 that really matters for a private school, obviously, uh, uh, you know, tuition and those are, you know, kids that you don't have the scholarship and all of that. Uh, so I think there's some uncertainty going forward financially that, that we can't even guess, uh, you know, where we are right now. But uh, as part of the reason that it's just impossible almost for me to imagine that they cancel football. I just, it's, I mean, there are just too many things dependent on it, and not just at USC, uh, you know, everywhere. Uh, so however they're going to have to do it. I know Stuart Mandel in The Athletic had a scenario today about how would you play football if you don't start till January, and where would you play it and all that. I mean, to me, that would be my fourth or fifth on the list of possible scenarios but if that if it came to that, if there was no class, you know, college in the uh, fall, and it came to that, they'd do that. I mean, they're going to do whatever it takes to get uh, college football in. They're going to play it whenever and wherever they have to play it. Uh, so uh, I think that's a financial reality. Uh, but some of the other things, I I I, I don't know. I, I don't know how they're going to handle them. If uh, if this gets really you know serious and starts going on for months and months and months, yeah, time is not on your side in this situation. So you can a month or two is one thing. If it goes into next year and students haven't been on campus, that's going to be something completely different. So it's fi financially at least. I mean, well, I have it for everything. But all right, uh, I think that's it, Keely. We got nothing else, right? That is it. All right. So well. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in to our little show. Like I said, uh, check back. I'm actually going to probably record this in about an hour or, or less than that. So we will uh, do a recruiting podcast as well. So we'll get into a lot more details on USC football recruiting. Make sure you check out 
uscfootball.com, the peristyle. There's always discussion going on about USC football there. So any questions you have during the, you know, before between shows, you want to go there and some of someone on our staff will be talking about whatever you are interested in. So make sure you go check that out. That's Keely Yor, Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 